Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode number 50, recorded on December 20th, 2022. One of the big challenges cities and communities face is getting residents to do their shopping where they live. Or how can you convince people of a town to cycle or take public transit instead of drive? The answer is you give people proper incentives. Michael Mazur is with a company called Kolu, who may have cracked this. They may have figured this out. First, though, here's Grant with the news update. What have we got from you today, Grant? Okay. Well, um, so let's talk about, we talk about it many times, automated vending and computers and robots and the future of the world. Let's talk about a one company, not because success or failure, but because it disrupted a world during COVID and may not have had a plan after. And we're going to call that company Carvana. Okay, here we go. So as you know, Carvana would be the online vending of vehicles that really made its mark during COVID. Because what did it do? It allowed you to stay at home. It actually revolutionized the used car market. You bought a car, it delivered guaranteed to your house, or you could go to one of their their 10 or 15 vending stores uh, where, again, you talk to nobody. You go in, you pick your car, and you drive away with it. Um, As you may or may not know, they're very close to Chapter 11. Um, They went from a stock of, I don't know the exact amount, Alan, like $700 to $7. Um, So this is was the future. This was the future. Um, we thought it was cool. By the way, I still think it's cool. Will I buy one that way? Probably not. Um, but what it did is it ate up all the used car inventory. It went out and was very successful, Alan, at first, made a profit. Okay. And then all of a sudden, the car market came back to life and people had no money. And then this, this thing called inflation came on along, interest rates go up, and all this, and then we what do we have with that? We have defaults. We have all the credit problems. Um, so what do you learn from creating a future technology that I think was very advanced, was pretty cool? Um, and have we learned that, I mean, no one says they're gonna fail. It's not looking good. So how do we learn from this? Um, you have to have acceptance. You have to have a business model that people in the future, did, did he predict a few? You know, you and I, Alan, are talking always a future 20 years from now. I don't think they did. They saw a future now and didn't take in all those factors that could de- essentially destroy them. Yeah, but isn't that the story of the pandemic? We had all these companies jump in with both feet to serve an immediate pressing need. And as that need receded, and as economic situations changed, they found themselves high and dry. Oh, I'm with you. No, no, but I'm with you. But I guess my point is, like, you have to admit, it's a good idea. 
I mean, I can if I know the exact car and I got all the proper guarantees, why not? Well, actually, the reason why not is they got into all kinds of problems with certifications, cars being tested properly, all kinds of warranty issues, never mind the pandemic, which caused, you know, default and payments, people back, you know, all of a sudden I get all that. But I guess my, my point is every day on the, every time we do this show, we talk about future products. And so, um, you know, when we talk, Alan, we, we always talked beyond the pandemic. We talk about the future of robots. It doesn't matter about the pandemic. The pandemic only exp- made it go faster. Why didn't this go faster? <laughs> Interesting. Well, uh, largely, <laughs> largely because of a shortage of inventory, because they bought up all the yeah. old vehicles. Yeah. All, all the manufacturers stopped building cars. Yeah. Uh, there was yeah. the microchip shortage. Yeah. Uh, microchips were diverted to other companies that needed chips when the car manufacturers didn't. And here we are now on the cusp of 2023 and, you know, good luck getting a new car. Or even a used car. Or even a used car, which are selling, you know, far beyond blue book value now. So I guess my point is this, is this a good idea or is it a good idea, but they're not big enough and it should be maybe car dealers that did it. And you got to wonder what their marketing costs were because they must have been huge. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Carvana, good luck. I I think Uh, it's a big one. And I think it's something we should think about. Um, Okay, um, I guess the big one that's coming that I have been talking about in a big way is 6G. 6G. I know. We are right. laughing how many people don't have 5G. I don't have it on my phone. I've got an iPhone 10. All right. But the potential of 6G is already being explored and released. Okay. Um, and, and, and 6G is probably our future. Uh, 6G because... It is the first one. It'll go. It'll be about a hundred times quicker than five G. Right. Hundred times quicker than five G. As far as microsec, uh, microsecond latency. So think of that. The frequency band will be so fast that. And why? Because it's going to be cloud based. It's not about just. Uh, you're going to have to have you know the the Bell Five fiber installed. Who gives a crap? Okay. Um, so it's all going to be around Alan edge technology, taking things on the edge and making them faster. And that means networks, cloud applications, everything in the metaverse. That's the 6A, 6D network. Um, and so you're talking merging all the networks, cellular, satellite, air, maritime, hardwire, and running it through on the edge and making it a hundred times faster and the 6G. So, you know, it's out there now. Okay. It just hasn't been deployed, but the testing's already out there. I, I've heard the testing happening in South Korea, for example. They're over in the head of, uh, ahead of things. Well, you know, that'll be interesting. We still haven't figured out the, um, the potential of 5G yet. So I know. 6G I, is not, like, wow. But do you jump? Do you say, okay, we're working on 5G, but let me think about this. But something tells me you got to have 5G to have 60. Well, yeah. I mean, it is an incremental sort of it advance, is isn't it? Because of the communication side. So I bet you we'll be talking about this a lot. And I think um, 6G compatibility for phones, everything's going to have to happen. It's going to have to happen. Um, and I see every industry connected through it. Um, obviously, with the advancing of quantum computing, 
it all adds up. Um, so I thought it was worth talking about um, about about this. So that's uh, that's the, the where is six G today? That's where it is. Okay. Okay. Nice story. Go ahead. Okay, and totally a, a different subject. Um, it's more about AI. Um, the subject I was reading was on a science, um, a German science uh, site, but the 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 issue was. Um, is AI becoming too alien? Okay. And what I mean by that, you know this, right? (laughs) So it goes back to that story of uh, when they took the five top poker players in the world and they played a bot. Right. Okay. In poker called Pluribus. And uh, the reason I bring it up is uh, this tells you what I'm talking about is AI becoming an alien. So when they played this poker game, so you know, the best players in the world were destroyed, okay? Um, And when you play poker, it's very important because it's the brain. And as you know, it's really about the mathematics. You have a couple things in your head. You're looking at the past as a poker player. So when he plays this, this, and this, you know in the past from experience, these are the things that you're gonna bet are gonna happen. A king can be drawn, this can happen. Three players around are going to have this card. It's all those type of things that you have in your mind that beat. And you would think, and you would think in the same boat, a computer would be doing this, but way quicker, right? Counting cards. Well, the truth is it doesn't do that, Alan. It doesn't do it. Know what it does? It has learned how to bluff. That scares the crap out of me. Okay, I knew you'd want to know that. Okay, so what it does, it doesn't go through anything to do with counting cards or what's the next hand. It says, based on this situation, it goes out and with thousands and thousands of things it thinks of, it figures out right away the best bluff that no human would ever take a chance on. And it wins. No kidding. Right. Um, you understand that? The brain doesn't do that. The brain doesn't do that, okay? We train ourselves through playing where the computer went out and went out and said, okay, I can bluff them every time these five ways. It doesn't take meaningful information. It's not a human computation. This, this computer has learned how to bluff us. And if I can't leave you with that as a thinking point yeah. of how AI is becoming, you know, they say it's not capable of motion. I get it. But it's called, the bluff is due to a phenom called loss aversion. And uh, um, so my point being is, what a way to finish the day. And think about this, is, is AI becoming too alien? Here's what I'm going to say. Just just because science can do something doesn't always mean that science should do something. Correct. And this this is where I'm going with AI. So, yeah, I know. And we talk about it, what, every third, fourth uh, session we talk about the news? I thought you'd want to hear this. Thank you, Grant. You can rock me to sleep tonight. Good. Getting people to do certain things can be tough. It's only natural to do things in your own self-interest. Online shopping can be more convenient and cheaper instead of going downtown and buying something at your local store. 
Taking your car from point A to point B can be faster. You really should be taking transit, but you don't. So how can a city change this? By incentivizing the desired behavior. Okay, fine, how? Michael Mazur is with an Israeli-based company called Kolu, and they're working with towns and cities on changing not only behaviors, but mindsets. So, Michael, give us a, a little background on Kolu. It's a it's an Israeli company. It's been around for, uh, I guess, eight years. What uh, was the purpose of founding the company, and what are your goals? Yeah, so uh, glad to be here. Um, Kolu has been around for quite a while, and the goal of the company was always to work to make life in our cities more socially and economically viable. And, and what does that really mean? It means to focus on how we can look at local budgets and look at local governments and how we can change the way we get people to take actions within a city, within a local government through a local coin. So essentially using a local coin to incentivize different behaviors. And that was sort of the, the mindset or the philosophy that we started with. And, uh, over time, we've, we've evolved it to many different things and in domains. I remember a number of years ago in the, um, in the Bromley area of London, they issued some David Bowie money, which uh, could only be used as legal tender in that particular area, up, up, up and down a couple of high streets in that area. Is, is that kind? And it was physical. It was bills and coins. Is, is that sort of what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so so in, in essence, it's it's doing it in, in a virtual way, right? And, and essentially creating a, a virtual version of that in, in many ways. And that was the, the framework that Kolu was founded on. It's saying, how do we create this localized, hyper-local economy without all this leakage, right? You know, if it's budget, a local budget that comes in, how do we trace where that budget is going and how much impact it's making? And how do we make sure that those dollars, those coins, circulate within the local economy? So in essence, what happens is you can only use your local city coins in your city, right? And you can't use them for anything else. And that's how we can guarantee that over time. Does someone like a central bank have a problem with this because you're issuing currency for use in retail transactions and so on? Yeah. So in the U.S., our model is not uh, currency. It's, it's essentially, you can think of it akin to points, airline points, Starbucks stars, whatever they may be. So essentially, each one is always worth a dollar. And in that sense, it's tied to USD. So it's not a localized currency that fluctuates um, over time. That's how we've been able to work with cities like Akron, Ohio, Boston, uh, San Mateo County. It's credits. The credits are worth nine. Exactly. You can, you can look at it as credits. Um, the, the, the future version, which we'll talk about, which is urban change, which is on Web3, is, is to an extent taking it to the next level and utilizing sort of the core concepts of our current model with Kolo and cities and local governments here in the U.S. and applying it to different communities and different cities more in emerging markets and in different uh, countries all over the world because we see a huge uh, demand and void actually there. Because think about how much of the budgets that are either coming in from local governments or budgets coming in from uh, federal or, or national agencies that have a goal, right? There's a goal of these budgets. It could be to get people to recycle. It could be to get people uh, to get tested or vaccinated. It could be for- it's pretty well everything. I, I, but do we know what's happening with those budgets? No, we don't. Exactly. So we see that as a huge opportunity in the sense of being able to look at budgets and localize them and have what we call impact or results-driven uh, opportunities 
so that the budgets are allocated and there's accountability as to what is happening with these budgets. So if a budget is allocated, if $100,000 in a city is allocated towards recycling, so a year later, when we're when the community or the the, the the beneficiaries of this budget, right, the citizens get to see what happened with my budget, what happened with my taxpayer dollars, what happened with, with what these are, right, and so that's where we see this void systematically in countries all over the world, and urban change is there to do that. Yeah. It's really no different, um, Alan, than our last guest, which was the city, and how they had all these initiatives to roll out. They didn't have a plan like this. They should, okay? But the point is, they say he, he was in charge of all the new initiatives. And it could be garbage collection. It could be, like you said, it could be it could be use of the transit system. It could be all the things the city's trying to budget for use. And we know they never make it. We know that, okay? Um, so it seems to me, Alan, that what they're doing and what his plan is uh, making sure, one, we allocate and use the purpose of the budget to make the, the end goal work, but two, t- to get the community involved, to want them to do it, to make them part of the, the cause, and, and, and to win to do it. They win if they do it, which we all want to do, guys. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm a bit of a Luddite here. I don't really understand entirely. So give me a case study example. Sure. So, so I'll start with the U.S., which is a model that exists already, and I'll start in the pandemic. So I actually joined Kolu um, as the first person in the U.S., and my goal was to bring Kolu to the United States. Um, little did I know that it was uh, March of 2020. I didn't know what was going to happen to the world, but I had to figure out how do we look at this tool, which is essentially a, a localized coin to drive different actions and how do we use it to solve problems that cities have, right? How does the technology solve a problem? So the example is what happened. We saw that in the beginning of the pandemic, across the board, all these initiatives initially, you know, sustainability, transit, recycling, those were put on the back burner for a second. And we had to look at what were the immediate challenges that cities were dealing with. And one of the things we saw from our research was local businesses, right? The local businesses were being shut down. People weren't going out and they were losing money. They were truly almost in in survival mode. So what we started doing is we looked to see how we can support cities and give them this element of a circular economy. And the first city that we ended up working with um, is the city of Akron, Ohio, who not only were they faced with these challenges because of the pandemic, but they also had this whole main street construction project, like literally on their main street. So all these businesses were screwed. Like, honestly, they had nothing going on for them. And what we did is we came in, we deployed the Akronite app, which is a local app for residents and gave people rewards for shopping local. So anytime they shopped at a local business, they earned a certain percent back in these, they call them blimps in Akron. Each blimp is worth a dollar. So you spend, you know, $20, you get 20% back, you'll get four blimps. You can then only use those blimps at local businesses in the city. But on top of that, the city wanted to support at the time, uh, and still does, uh, black-owned businesses. That was a big, big challenge that the city was facing. These black-owned businesses were suffering disproportionately, and they wanted to give them additional support. So if you shopped at a black-owned business, you got another 10% back, right? And ultimately, we talk about how do we look at these budgets, so the city allocated a budget, and how do we maximize the impact that the budget made? 
And on top of that, how do we create this feedback loop? Like you were saying, in terms of a behavioral economics or the behavioral economics perspective, how do we say, okay, you take an action, you get rewarded from, for that action. And then you're constantly reinforcing that over time. So subconsciously, when I'm thinking, wait, am I going to get my coffee at a local business or am I going to get it at Starbucks? I'll be, oh, you know, I'll get it at the local business. I remember that I'll earn points or, or, and so forth. So that's how we're, to an extent, reinforcing the behavior. What ended up happening from a case study perspective is the city so far has put in, in the form of the reward budget, uh, a, a little over $100,000. And the city has, since August of 2020, generated over $3 million of economic activity within the city. So why, you ask, and what are the other benefits? It's because these dollars, right, that they invested are sparking economic activity over time. And the city then has insights, right? How are people spending those blimps? And what is the, the behavior? So then they can say, you know what? In neighborhood X, people are spending less. So let's actually give another boost there for the month of January. And there are a lot of interesting points. So over time, we're reinforcing that behavior and the city's continued and, and seen that growth. So that's been a super interesting case study. Okay. Two questions. So when you talk about the city budget, and let's say it's $100,000, that's the amount of money the city will reimburse these businesses for people who cash in their blimps. Yes? Yes. Is that how, exactly. that's how it well, works. For redeeming your blimps, yeah. For Which is like redeeming your stars at Starbucks, right? That's kind Got of the, the analogy that I'll use. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, Alan. I think it's really cool. And and secondly, this manages. You talk about the this virtuous cycle that that's that's created because more people go to these places, uh, spend actual currency, earn their blimps back, and then continue to go back to those places to get more blimps. I got it right. Exactly. So it, it, it again, it creates this sort of mechanism where, where it's like loyalty, right? You, you're loyal to these local businesses and yeah, All right. and it grows. And, and you think about the long-term benefits of that, right? That it's huge. So what do you need technologically? I'm, I'm, I'm a person in Akron, Ohio. I'm going to the, uh, the main street. Um, what do I need? I need an app. Yeah. So, so what we do is we provide in the U.S., uh, each city gets their own white label app. So Akron has an app on the app store in Google Play called Akronite. You can uh, download the app, link your card, um, and then whenever you shop at one of the eligible businesses in the city, you earn blimps, um, and you can on, only use them at local businesses in the city. Other cities uh, that we've worked with are also doing other interesting initiatives, like if you ride your bike in Peachtree Corners, Georgia, yeah, you ride your bike, perfect, you earn man. points. Um, we've done one with walking in San Mateo County, so county employees who walked a certain amount of steps per day earned points. Oh. Um, so, so there's a lot of modularity with it, right? And we see that right now, kind of in this post-pandemic, dare I say it, world, um, we, cities are starting to think again about sustainability, about uh, health and wellness, about what we call financial literacy. And we're looking at these metrics globally as these initiatives that we want to help, not just cities, by the way, I, I say cities, but it could be communities, it could be neighborhoods. Think about universities, neighborhood associations, a big apartment complexes. And as globalization becomes bigger, right, people are moving into cities uh, or at least near cities, that density creates more governance challenges from local government perspective. So how do we take the sort of power of the community and get people engaged? And that's what we call civic engagement to achieve these goals, but it's almost like people are going to be running on a treadmill. So how do we make sure that they're running in the right direction? Yeah. Right? If people are anyways going to be living their lives, let's make sure that they're doing it in a way that actually contributes to their well-being in their sort of neighborhood, right? That's kind of how we're thinking. 
I mean, think of it, think of it, Alan. What if the government tomorrow said, you know, we got a real health problem? And I don't mean health like um, the, there's not enough hospitals. People are, are obese. People are not looking after themselves, and we can't solve it. So let's offer a program, and we're going to make the country healthier. And what we're going to do is we're going to offer this application. And people are going to go out and want to do it. That's what people do. And even if you get 10%, it's 10% better times all those people that now may be healthier. And because it's linked to your card, and because that card is... Or phone. Or phone or whatever it is. Yeah. So I don't have to worry about pulling out a card and swiping it every time I go to a cash register or anything, right? I I, I mean... uh, like an air miles card or, or, or any other kind of loyalty card. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the U S the way it works is that you download the app, you link your card. And then anytime you use that card, let's say you link your chase debit card. If you use that card, it'll automatically okay. uh, reward you for that transaction. Um, but if you're, if you're at a eligible business, yes, but you don't need to link your cards for other things, right? For recycling or for bike riding, we partner with third parties who can validate that that action happened. And then we, so, so, so then you, we ride your bike, you'll automatically be rewarded for completing that action. So that's sort of how that process works. So the card part is relevant only for the shopping use case, but as we expand, yeah. Michael, so, so tell me about the partnership of, of the bike cycling. So um, I'm, I'm going to ride my bike today. I'm going to go a 10 K. How do I get credit for that 10 K? Yeah. So it's actually interesting. We we met, I was, I was speaking at some conference and a guy started talking to me after I spoke and said, you know what, we have this thing that we're, we're rewarding people for riding their bikes. And it was, seemed super cool. We went, we, we pitched it to the city of Peachtree Corners and they seemed very interested. So ultimately what happened is this third party that is, it's called Love to Ride. And ultimately when you ride your bike, you, you have to download their app. But what happens is if you ride your bike between a certain hours and a certain, mile, a certain amount of miles per week, I believe it is, you then automatically will earn Peachtree Corners points through the Peachtree Corners app, which is as under, you know, created by Kolu. So essentially, the, the validation happens that you, you're, you need to download this, this third-party app okay. to validate that you, you, you completed this action. But it's not a big... I mean, people anyways do it. It's an enjoyable process and then they get rewarded for it. Now, what's interesting here is that think about what are these goals? Like, what does this solve? This solves number one, how do you get more people to ride their bike to work instead of drive their car? And what's a way to do it? You can reward people for riding their bike yep. in specific hours yep. of the day. So right between, you know, 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. then or between, you know, 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. And then you'll be able to earn more points. Um and then number two, of course, cutting carbon emissions. So different use cases will mean different things for different people, but ultimately it all contributes to one large goal, which is cutting emissions, right? Or getting less cars on the street. Yeah. yeah in that case, it is. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. There are so many applications. Now, if I'm doing, and by the way, I'm not targeting bikes, okay? Yeah. I have a friend who owns the biggest bike sharing company in the country, okay? Lives like two blocks from me. I'm only thinking of it because I'm thinking bikes. So uh, is your app resident with that bike app? So how do we get the connection? Like we don't want anything, it's gotta be automated. So um, when I log into my bike app or I log into your app, 
there's some where I click, I'm going to ride a bike. So the way it works is on our app, there's a sort of, a, it's called like a use case. So you'll see that use gotcha. case and it'll tell you the exact instructions and it'll link you to the, the, the yeah, app, okay. for example. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and then behind it's, everything is behind the scenes. Yeah. Obviously. That's what you want it to be. It's much harder. Yeah. yeah. We don't want someone to have to report it and then this and wait. And, and that's, you know, I can't imagine people <laughs> having a good experience with that. This could be a very wide extended app for Alan for almost anything. Well, yeah, I can I can see anytime you need to reward people to get them to do I like things. Look at you in the music that, business. You know, watch the song fifty times. Um, you can do anything. Yeah. Okay, so how does Kulu make money from this? So Kulu makes money from uh, cities. So cities pay us a license uh, fee uh, for the services, and and we provide them with the white label app and all the ancillary services uh, related. Right. Think about it. Cities don't know. Um, how to handle an app, right? Cities don't have the, they don't want the, the to. tools. Sure. They no, don't want do to. So that's yeah. why we, we have to give them the path of least resistance in essence of, you know, giving them a tool and providing them with, with you know, what happens when the rubber hits the road, right? And, and often you hear in technology, technology, it sounds perfect, euphoric, it'll solve all the problems, but then suddenly you put the technology in, in real life and you start having to uh, get merchants onboarded. You have to start dealing with user acquisition, languages, barriers, start dealing with we do baby that now boomers. In our business, we face that now. So I get it. Yeah. It, it, so it's, so that's, I think, the true challenge. I mean, there are all these challenges, but I think that the challenge is when the rubber hits the road, how do you make it work? And how do you really get people using the app and adopting it and over time increasing um, the, the metrics and achieving the results? So that's where we specialize in, in doing a lot of work and on the ground. And you must have a ton of partners. Yeah, we have partners who have amazing cities. Yeah, yeah, and we have amazing city officials that we work with in the U.S., yeah. So how do you market yourself to, to cities? So in the U.S., um, you know, we, we work with cities and a lot of referrals at this stage. Uh, we, we've we been doing a lot in, in the local shopping part, but now we're starting to see more in, in terms of uh, sustainability and civic engagement and, and other use cases. And on top of that, I'll say that we launched Urban Change a couple of months ago. And Urban Change is, is the Web3 version of, of Kolu. Um, and, and it's actually, Kolu is one of the core contributors to it. We're working with uh, the Algorand Foundation on it. And essentially what it'll be, um, and it's going to come out in the beginning of next year, is a platform for not just cities, but for community leaders to be able to implement initiatives within their community so that we're kind of creating a new model with a, in, in the urban changes, a dual token model that will use the same concept as here in the US, but the market for it is much broader because in the US, right, you have cities, as you probably know, it takes time. And so, and it's, it's, it's obviously working with local government. So we're continuing here, but in order to truly get this mass adoption is we saw this huge opportunity with emerging markets so giving them these tools um, through Urban Change. And so they'll be able to work with us to find these budgets uh, that exist and then take them, create use cases, recycle, clean uh, trash from the beach, uh, financial literacy, get people um, uh, tested or vaccinated. And, and, and that'll be where we see a huge, huge, huge opportunity. See, what you got, Alan, you got to remember cities, when COVID came, they all ran out and tried to develop apps. And they were, they were terrible at it. Um, why? They're not technology companies. Um, so although COVID 
showed the city, boy, we got to engage Michael's company and the future of his company and companies like him are going to take that over. And and, and you're right. It's not about just cities. I mean, a community is a city. A mega project could be a city. Um, So it's going to transpire to um, back to um, the way it started in COVID, but such in a much bigger way. And I see this can expand to almost anything. Well, I, I really like the idea, and I'll give you a personal example. Yesterday, we had some stuff delivered from Amazon, and my wife looks at me, and she goes, you know, I love online shopping, but I feel very guilty because I'm not participating in the local economy in any sort of way. And I go, yeah, I know what you mean, but this is really, really convenient. It comes right to your door. The prices are good. And she is not incentivized in any particular way to get in the car, go down to our our main street, and to maybe buy something from the kitchen shop there. Yep. If, if she was getting rewarded with something that she could understand how she could redeem, then uh, I could see this working very well for somebody like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it could be, you no, know, it could be, Alan. It could redeem for something else she could use in the same city core. Right, is, right, right, right. Which, is, which she loves. So it could be great. Right. It could be at a restaurant, it could be at a pet store, it could be yeah. anywhere as long as she has, you know, the 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 bucks, whatever we want to call them. I guess it wouldn't pay your taxes, right? <laughs> it's not, no. I'm in. <laughs> no. Well, I, I, I think it's a clever idea. Um, what has been the public reception? So it's been, you know, we, we started in August of 2020 here in the U.S., our, our launching our first city. Overall, I would say it's been outstanding in the sense of once we understood what it takes to launch a city here in the U.S., we realized that there is a playbook, right, that can be used. And I'll just give you one example. What, what's something that was challenging for us in the beginning? It's that people, we, we want people to take action, right? We want people to, to be incentivized to take the action. But often when you say to someone, hey, you know what, you're going to get 10% back or 20% back for the next four months and, and you know, good luck. There's no scarcity and there's no sort of spark to take action. So what we've learned as an example as part of the playbook, right, is to create different initiatives that have a very uh, scarce time frame. So uh, don't forget to shop in the next two days or uh, and then get an extra 20% back or make sure to uh, shop X amount within the next two weeks to be eligible to receive a uh, a ticket to a raffle, right? All these different interesting things that we call gamification or from a behavioral economics perspective that actually work at the end of the day and get people to take action. Now, the other part of it, I'll say, is we always try to achieve what we call the network effect, right? Network effects happen over time as more people use the app and more people are engaged and more behavior is reinforced. So recurring users who are constantly using the app and then telling their friends and enjoying. So for us, it's all about making sure that we work with the cities and we provide them with the tools to constantly engage with the community. Because we're not going to engage, like we don't have access, obviously, to a city's social media. We don't have access to all these different things that a city has. So for us, it's providing these cities or communities with the tools to be able to, to engage with the communities and with the frameworks to do so. And being able to be agile, because, you know, on one hand, we work with cities like Boston, right, urban uh, high tech uh, focus. And we've working, we've been working with cities like in uh, counties like Saline County in Kansas, right? Very different. 
But ultimately, we've been able to adapt the model to grow and get you know, thousands of users. And we've had millions of dollars of economic activity uh, in the past year. Um, so, so that's been a great success. Well, I, I get really clever. I can see how it would work. You don't have to swipe your Air Miles card for, you know, you forget to do it all the time or your other loyalty cards. I, I, I like it. I think the co-ID, it drives a purpose. It does. Um, so my viewpoint is it's going to have a lot of growth. Yeah, it, it's, it's carrot and stick stuff, but with a, a much more of a carrot than a stick. I like it. Exactly, exactly. We always talk about the carrot or stick. And, you know, I think the carrot is something that rarely exists in, in local government. We, we don't often have that. And, you know, when you think about civic engagement or you think about all the psychology studies show, right, if you, if you scare someone off for doing something, that often in the long term does not help as much as doing something that is, is done where you feel like you want to do it, right? Like you're motivated to do it. Well, yes, because you're motivated to do it self for self-serving reasons, but then you're also motivated to do it because you want to help your community. Yes, exactly. And think about how many people who want to support their community or would do something to support their community if they knew how. We always want to give people this path of least resistance to do what they want to do or to give them the tools to do it. And you think about like, why is TikTok or, or the Instagram, um, all the, the short form videos, why are they so popular? Because it's so easy. It's the path of least resistance and it's constantly engaging. So we want, we want to give people the path Absolutely. of least resistance to do good for their communities. And that's why we are starting with the rewards and the benefits. But it, it doesn't end there. It's also creating this, this model of being part of a community and being part of a, a, your neighborhood. And, you know, instead of going online, going to Amazon, going to your group, your, your, your chats online, you have, what about your park here? What about your neighbors here uh, that are near you? So it's kind of changing that focus and using technology for that purpose. Uh, again, it's easier said than done, but those are the things that we're constantly working on. Yeah. Love the idea. I hope it spreads to uh, my neighborhood because I would certainly use it. Good luck with both Kolu and Urban Change, Michael. I, I, I hope it. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, I hope it really blows up because this idea of using tech for the benefit of your neighborhood and your neighbors is pretty sexy. Yeah, thank you, guys. I, I hope so, too. And we appreciate uh, being here. And there's another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to Michael from Kolu, spelled C-O-L-U, by the way, and also Urban Change. Their whole business model sounds like a plan for bringing cities and communities closer together and for a way to generate new economic activity. If you have any questions or comments, send something to feedback at thesmartcity.blog and check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.